Uh, all right, so let's let's focus uh, on Mark. Okay, we have been looking at these uh, for several weeks now. These discipleship themes in the Gospel of Mark. Five. Uh, big themes, five threads that run through the Gospel of Mark and tie all the stories together to show us the heart of what the author is doing. Mark's Gospel is about discipleship. Mark's Gospel overall is showing us what it looks like to know Jesus and to understand Jesus as the Savior of the world, as the Holy Son of God, and what does it look like to follow this Jesus? What does it look like to go where Jesus goes? What does it look like to do what Jesus does and do it the way Jesus does it? And so today we're going to look at the ending of Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Now, the ending of a story sometimes can make or break that story. You know what I'm talking about? Some of your favorite movies, I think the reason they're your favorite movies is because you really like the ending. Sometimes the ending of a movie will shift right at the end and you had no idea it was coming. You know, like the good guy turns out to be the bad guy and the bad guy turns out to be the good guy and you had no idea it was happening. You know what I'm talking about? Do you remember the movie Runaway Jury? That is one of my favorite movies, and I think it's because I remember what it was like the first time I saw that movie. Because the last scene blew my doors off. Like, John Cusack's character is devious, he's deceitful, he's playing both sides of the jury, he's rigging this thing, he's doing all kinds of down-handed, low-handed, dirty things. And you don't realize till the end of the movie, the whole time he's actually been selflessly, sacrificially taking care of the people back in his small hometown. And it just, I remember that. And I remember when that movie was over going, how did they do that? Say that with me. How did they do that? Right? That's a good movie. Now, lots of movies end with cliffhangers. Right? Not all of them are good. Okay? Sometimes, I'd say most of the time, especially nowadays, the cliffhanger ending to a movie is just so they can guarantee there's going to be another movie. You know what I'm talking about? The monster never dies. The monster at the end of the movie stays alive. Why? So he can make another movie. Right? Freddy Krueger, Jason, Vin Diesel. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's, that's the deal. And you, you, you see one of those endings and you go, why did they do that? Say that with me. Why did they do that? Now, some movies have good cliffhanger endings. Some of these movies draw, some of these endings draw you into the movie, right? Do you remember the good, the bad, and the ugly? Okay, remember that? You got these three dirty desperados, and they're fighting each other, and then they're partnering with each other, and they're trying to kill each other, and then they're trying to help each other. All through this whole movie, they're searching for this big chest of lost Confederate gold. Do you remember the last scene? The very last scene, Clint Eastwood's character, Blondie, he's got Tuco down in the ground in this cemetery at gunpoint, forcing him to dig up that chest of gold. Blondie gets the gold, and Clint Eastwood's character ties Tuco up in a noose, ties his hands together, ties him up, hangs him from a tree, and Tuco is having to balance, remember this, on that old shaky wooden cross sticking up out of that grave. He's like balancing there just to save his own life. Clint Eastwood rides off into the sunset with the gold. Remember this scene? Blondie! You know, Tuco's yelling from this, from this noose. And Clint Eastwood's just a speck on the horizon. You can barely see him. And he turns around with his rifle and he shoots right through that rope. Tuco is on the ground. 
and the movie's over. And you're like, wait a second, what's going to happen? What are they going to do? Is Tuco going to survive being in the desert? Is he going to go, you know, uh, grab Blondie and meet up with him some other time later, you know? And so the question is, what are they going to do? Say that with me. What are they going to do? Now, the best movie ending of all grabs you and pushes you into the story and makes you say, what are we going to do? That's a good movie. When you leave the theater saying, what am I going to do? The original Godzilla movie, right? 1954. Not the 1956 Americanized version, but the 1954 version of Godzilla. The last scene of this movie, Dr. Namani at the end believes there's more than one monster. And the last line is, if we continue with nuclear testing, more monsters will come and undoubtedly destroy us. And the movie's over. And you're like, wow, could that really happen? Who's really thinking about this? And the question is, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? I think about Planet of the Apes. When was that? 1968? Charlton Heston, whoever played Nova, whoever she was, they're riding into the Forbidden Zone. Remember the very last scene? Remember the last scene? And they come across the Statue of Liberty, this massive, huge statue which has crumbled. It's in ruins. It's halfway buried in sand. And they realize we've been on planet Earth all along. And we have destroyed our own civilization because of our wars and corruption and violence and selfishness. And the movie ends. And you're like, wait a second. Could that happen? What are we going to do? Say that with me. What are we going to do? That's a good ending. When you're left with that question, I think Mark has a good ending. I love the ending to the Gospel of Mark. I think it's breathtaking in the way it captures us and draws us into the story. I think it shakes us. I think it challenges us. And I think it demands that we respond. Now, we've been over this. The title of Mark's story tells us very plainly what is happening. The very first line, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then in the opening scene, just 10 verses later, you've got this voice of God from heaven saying, this is my Son. There's no doubt about it in the first chapter who we're talking about here. This is the Son of God. Later on in the same chapter, Jesus proclaims the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Come, follow me. And Jesus proclaims the good news. He announces the good news and he inaugurates this kingdom of heaven by, by healing and cleansing and forgiving and loving his divine compassion is on display in every one-on-one -on -one en encounter. His, his power and his authority is demonstrated every time he stills the storm, every time he drives out the demons. Jesus is not going to be stopped. The kingdom of God is coming, right? And then Jesus tells his disciples he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to be raised back to life. Mark says he told them plainly. He explains it to them over and over again. And he shows them his glory out on the boat that night. He shows them his glory at the mountain of transfiguration. And then he's betrayed in the garden. And everything Jesus had told them was going to happen, it starts to happen. 
In Mark 15, Jesus is on trial for his life before the religious rulers. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Verse 60, then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these people are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent, it says, and did not say anything. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? Jesus said, I am. Somebody say amen. 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 Then they spit on him and they blindfolded him and they hit him and they mocked him. Jesus is beaten and then he's executed on a cross just like he said he would be. And remember one of the killers, Mark says, saw the way Jesus died and said, surely this man is what Mark told us in the first chapter, the son of God. And all these women are there, all these women who had followed Jesus and taken care of Jesus. They're the only ones in Mark's story, remember, who had these kingdom qualities of faith and humility. They're the only ones that Mark tells us took care of Jesus' needs. They're there. And it's these same women who come to the tomb on that Sunday morning. Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The tomb is empty. Oh, my word. What a marvelous ending this is. Jesus is risen. He is alive. Now go and tell. He's not here. You saw where they laid him. Look at it. But no, don't just stay here. Go and tell. Go tell the disciples. Go find Peter. He's meeting you in Galilee, just like he said. Isn't this a great ending? I love the way this story ends. Wait, there's one more verse. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. And the screen goes black. And the credits start to roll. And the movie music score begins to play. And you're sitting there in the dark theater. And you're watching the credits. What's a dolly grip? I have no idea. Oh, look, Andrew Garfield played pilot. I forgot about that. What's happening? And you replay the story in your mind. Wait a second, son of God, crucified, dead, buried, Raised again to new life. 
healing, forgiveness, salvation, restoration, reconciliation. We're all righteous with God now. And the order is, go and tell. Go tell this amazing story. Go report this awesomely good news. But nobody does. Go tell the good news of the kingdom of God that the forces of sin and death have been destroyed forever and that everybody in the world now has access to a righteous relationship with the Lord. Go and tell. Nobody does. The apostles are all in hiding. These women, they're frozen in fear. Somebody's got to tell. Who's going to tell? People need to know. The world needs to hear. Why aren't they telling? Somebody needs to tell. And Mark has got you right where he wants you. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of our God, Mark's got you. What are we going to do? What am I going to do? We know the grave cannot contain Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Amen? Okay, neither can Mark's story. We know that people did tell about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know this, amen? We know it happened. And we know that, that, that what Mark is doing here, he, he gives us clues throughout. He says in the very beginning, this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the starting point the empty tomb, it's not a finish line, right? The resurrection of Jesus is not the end of things. It's the beginning of everything. And Mark draws us in. Mark forces us to enter the end of this story or, or what is the beginning of this story. And so the question is not, what are these women going to do? Are these women going to talk? The question is, now that we've been let in on the good news of salvation from God through Jesus Christ, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? Am I going to run away in fear? Am I going to keep my mouth shut? Are we going to follow Jesus to Galilee, or are we going to stay in our seats in here and keep the good news all to ourselves? You know the theme all throughout the gospel. Jesus wants everybody to shut up, right? Remember, we've talked about this. Chapter 1, verse 25, Jesus says, be quiet. Verse 34, Jesus won't let the demons tell anybody who he is. Verse 44, Jesus says, don't tell this to anyone. Chapter 3, verse 12, Jesus gives them strict orders not to tell who he was. Chapter 4, Jesus, again, quiet, be still. Chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus gives strict orders not to let anybody know. Chapter 7, verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. Chapter 8, verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. But now the angels at the empty tomb say, go and tell. Now it's time. Now's the cue, right? Salvation belongs to everyone in the world through the resurrection of Jesus. Now's the time to tell. Now's the time to shout. Now's the time to preach. Now's the time to go. Now's the time to heal. Now is the time to feed. Now, right now, is the time to forgive and love and save. Now is the time to announce the good news. Go and tell. The women said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Church, if it's real, I have to tell. If Jesus really is the promised Messiah, 
if my sins really are forgiven by God in Christ forever, if we really are restored and made righteous because he lived and he died and he was raised again from the grave, then we have to tell. We have to, but we seem so reluctant to tell. Why? It's not because we're bashful. We're not bashful. When I encounter something new that impacts my life, I'm telling you about it immediately. You know what I'm talking about? If I find a new restaurant, there's a new soap, there's a new album, there's a new movie, I'm telling you about it, right? It smells great and it doesn't dry out my skin. You know what I'm talking about, right? Come on, we all do this. The chips and salsa at Ahua's are the best in this city. I'm telling you right now. You go do it. Check me on that. John Mellencamp's new album. You got to get it. Oppenheimer. You need to see it, right? Bluebell has a Dr. Pepper flavor float ice cream flavor. I mean, you got to try it. You may not know these things. They've changed my life. I want you to experience it. I want you to know about it, right? We do this. So it's not because we're bashful. Is it? Maybe it's one of these two things. Is it because we're afraid the gospel isn't new? I wonder, if we see the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as something that happened almost 2,000 years ago, and so it's not really news. It might be good, but it's not really news. Not right now. I was saved a long time ago. I was baptized into Jesus Christ 45 years ago. Is that why we don't tell? Because it was so long ago? Because it doesn't feel fresh? Is it not much more than just a really good memory? Something you're glad you did a long time ago? Are we afraid the gospel is old? Maybe irrelevant? Like it's historical and it's theological and it's religious and it's good, but it's not really news. I'm not telling anybody anything they don't already know. All right, let me, let me challenge your thinking on this, okay? The gospel is not a point in time, okay? Now follow me here. The gospel is not an event in history. The gospel is not something that happened. The gospel is what God is doing and what God has done and what God promises to always do in the future. That's the gospel. When God did not destroy Adam and Eve, that's the gospel. When God rescued the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, that's the gospel. When God delivered Daniel from the den of lions, when God forgave David, when God gave the child to Hannah, when God, uh, what else did God do? When he fed Elijah in the wilderness, right? All of that is gospel. It, it, it's ongoing, it, it's right now, and it's relevant to all human need. You name a need right now. You name a problem in the world, I'm telling you, the gospel is the answer. Every time, right now. Jesus showed us a guy laying in a ditch. He'd been robbed, beaten up, half dead. I've got gospel good news for that guy. He's going to get picked up. Jesus tells us about a runaway, rebellious child who comes back home stinking like a pig. 
I've got good news for that son. He's going to get hugged. The guy comes to Jesus and he says, please heal my child if you're willing. I got good news for that dad. Our Lord is more than willing. All of that is gospel. What God is doing through Jesus Christ and what he continues to do to meet our greatest needs today. That's the gospel. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is here, church, and he is involved, and things can change. That's the good news. Jesus is risen, and Jesus is Lord. That's our confession, right? That's not a confession. That's not the first confession. That is the confession. Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord. He's fixing everything, and he wants all of us to be in on it with him. And it's not old, okay? It's not irrelevant, his mercies are new every morning, right? We are being renewed, the Bible tells us, day by day by day. One thing we should probably stop doing, we should stop using the phrase first century church. Can we just all stop saying that? We are not a first century church. Can I get an amen? We don't want to be a first century church, right? That's not what we're trying to be. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves the world demands that we be a 21st century church right now today in Midland, Texas, USA. Amen? Let's stop saying 21st century church. And let's be who God is calling us to be and who we're trying to be by his grace. The gospel is not a moment that happened a long time ago in Palestine. It is a movement that's happening right now, today, in West Texas. Let me tell you, when you tell a dying man that God's going to take care of his family, you're telling the gospel. When you tell a lonely woman she's invited to eat and to belong to a holy, eternal family, you're telling the gospel. When you cry and you pray, with some parents who have a child who's just gone off the rails and you tell them God loves you and God loves your child and this thing ain't over yet. You're telling the gospel. That is the gospel of good news from Jesus Christ. Romans 10 verse 8 says the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Church, it's right there. We know it. We've got it. We experience it every day. What's keeping us from telling it? Here's the second thing. I wonder, are we afraid we might mess it up? Is that why we don't tell? Are we afraid we'll mess it up? I mean, honestly, we've complicated it a bit. Sometimes I think we're afraid to tell anybody about the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ because we're too worried about how we're going to answer all the questions about our church. How do we get around that loophole? I forgot how this thing was explained to me. How do we uh, argue that inconsistency? What argument was I taught here? And what Are we afraid we're going to mess it up? Let me give you some good news on that front, okay? And it comes from Mark. Every page in Mark, we've talked about this. The disciples are a mess, right? They're not good. 
They're, they're pathetic, actually. They don't, they don't get it. They don't understand it. The disciples in Mark are the ones asking dumb questions. They're arguing about things that don't matter. Remember, Mark is about Jesus and the duh disciples, right? Even these faithful women who are the model disciples in the gospel of Mark, they're at the empty tomb and they're confused and they're afraid. Listen, if we are holding back from sharing the good news, if we're holding back from going and telling because we're afraid we're going to mess it up, here's the good news. God is not worried about you messing anything up. He's got this. It's not even on you. This story is not about the weaknesses and the failings of the followers of Jesus, although there's tons of that in here. This story is about the gospel power of our God to overcome our weaknesses and our failures. The gospel power of God. We know, just like the very first readers of Mark, we know the story got told. We know the resurrection of Jesus Christ was talked about and it was proclaimed all over the world just like Jesus said it would. And so Mark is showing us and reminding us that Jesus' promises and God's will are being fulfilled despite our failures, despite our shortcomings and our sins. Praise God that, that Mark's brilliant ending, which is really a beginning, shows us that this thing does not depend on us. Our God in Christ makes it happen, not us. In chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you're all going to fall away. You're all going to really disappoint me and each other. But, he says, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. That's the same thing the angel said in chapter 16 at the tomb. He has gone ahead of you into Galilee. And so listen, here's the good news. Wherever you go to tell, Jesus is already there. He's already there. He's way ahead of you. There's nothing to be afraid of. There is not one single person alive on this planet you can talk to about Jesus that God's Holy Spirit hadn't already been working on that person a long, long time. You're not the first line. Jesus is already there. And you're not the last hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. You can't mess anything up. We know that by God's faithful word and by his promises and by his divine power, he turns our clumsy stumblings into graceful sprints. He turns our miserable mess-ups and failures into glorious victories. Colossians 1 says, We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end we labor, struggling with all of his energy which so powerfully works in us. Mark's last line is open-ended because the story's not finished. It's not done. This is the beginning of the gospel. It's still being written and the pages will continue to be added until the return of our Lord Jesus to this earth. I'm reminded of something the great Texas theologian Stanley Hauerwas wrote almost 30 years ago. Get this. God has not promised us safety, but participation in an adventure called the gospel. That seems to me to be great news in a world that is literally dying of boredom. What are we waiting for, church? To get all of our ducks in a row? 
Are we waiting to, to find all the answers first before we go and tell? Are we waiting to make sure that everybody in our boat agrees with the exact same theology and we're practicing all the same uniform worship services? No, good grief, no. Why? They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What are we going to do? What am I going to do? Go and tell. Go and tell. What's going to save more people? What's going to reconcile this part of West Texas for Jesus and the kingdom of God? What's going to make you and me more like Christ? Not fear, not apathy, not complacency, not silence, but getting out there in the middle of it, sacrificing and serving and saving and learning and throwing our entire selves into the mission of God, knowing and trusting that God's going to do something incredibly wonderful with it if we'll just submit to his calling and go and tell, to proclaim with our lips and our lives that Jesus is Lord and he really is fixing everything. Church, that's going to save more people. That's going to reconcile more of West Texas back to the Lord and the kingdom of God. And that's going to make all of us a lot more like Jesus. The story's not over yet. Your story is not over yet. That guy at work, his story's not over yet. That lady who lives next door, it's not over yet. Think about those kids at the Opportunity Tribe. Think about those teenage mothers at Young Lives. Think about the family members you have that you haven't talked to in months. How about that clerk you see every day at Kent Quick? The gospel tells us we are surrounded by divine potential, by heavenly mystery, by holy adventure, and by eternal excitement. What are we going to do? What are you going to do? Go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell and tell. And if you will abandon yourself and your fear, if you will go and tell, then for you and for somebody you know, it could be the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, church. I want to read to us from Romans chapter 16. Now to him who is able to establish you by the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. And the whole church says, Amen. Amen.